Let's remain standing and have a word of prayer before we go on in the service. Um, I want you to be thinking while we pray about somebody that you need to contact, somebody that you need to minister to. I know uh, Daniel Freeman has been tested positive with COVID-19, so pray for Michael and Jody that they don't get it. And uh, I was thinking about Brenda Mays as she heals from that uh, broken ankle and can't put weight on her foot, those kind of things. You know, there's uh, a lot of stuff that's going on in people's lives besides just being concerned about COVID-19, but it certainly does include that. So let's pray for one another. There are outbreaks going on in different parts of the country. And then there's also a little thing called an election coming up. Anybody concerned about that? Have you been praying about it? Because if you're really concerned, it doesn't do any good to sit and worry and to sit and stew or to get angry. But you know what? You can talk to the king of the ages who is the sovereign one and uh, you'll find peace and you'll find relief. So let's do that. And while you are thinking about people that you can serve or minister to, you can shoot them a text if you want to and say, I just want you to know your church family loves you, misses you, we're praying for you. Uh, is there anything I can do for you? Just something like that and just shoot that real quickly and um, bless them and let them know now while we're praying. Nobody, no other time in history has a church been able to pray for people and then let the people know that they're praying for them at that same time? Uh, we can do that now. So let's take advantage of that. Will you join me? Lord, for sick people, we want to pray for them because sickness is so discouraging. And when we don't know how to get well or when our bodies aren't responding well, whether it's to cancer or whether it's to heart problems or... COVID-19 or different things like that that we face. All kinds of things in this world that hit us and attack us and pull us down. It can get discouraging. When the doctors seem to run all kinds of tests but they don't have any answers, it can get discouraging. When they say the medicine's done all it can do, it can really, really get discouraging. And I think, Lord, that uh, there are some people that they are going through some things right now that are just simply the avenue through which you're going to take them home. And how can we be upset with you about that? That's the promise. John 14, you have prepared a place for us and we're going to be with you in the Father's house forever and ever. Oh, thank you for that, Lord. There are other people that are going to get well from all of this. And we pray that they would do it sooner rather than later. And we pray that you would give them encouragement. And then there are other people that we pray that they just don't get sick. And we ask you to protect people from whatever it may be, especially from this virus. But whatever it might be that might be a threat to them, protect them. And then, Father, we also try to remember that there are a lot of other things going on. There are economic issues. There are job issues. There are marital issues, parental issues, all kinds of things. We've got a country that is divided. There's a lot of unrest out there. And there are people that are angrily saying we have the answer and other people saying no, we do. And the truth is, Lord, there's only one place to look for the answer, and that is to Jesus. And we want to pray today. Help us as Christians not to get caught up in the fray 
of the political wranglings and the philosophical wranglings and all of that, let us point to Jesus. At the same time, Father, don't let us be fools either to vote for the wrong person or to vote for the wrong things. We want to be right and we want to be wise in the way that we live because, Lord, our desire would be that our republic would continue on for our children, for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, and that they would be able to know the freedom and the blessings that we have known. That's our prayer. And we pray, Lord, if there's any part we can play in all of that, let us know what it is. But, Father, at the same time, we also pray, Thy will be done. And we ask, Lord, that... As people are voting, they would vote according to the will of God. We pray that whatever happens, we would have assurance that a sovereign God is in control and give us grace to accept whatever comes. And give our families and give our nation and give our streets, give them peace, Lord. And we pray that in the midst of peace, you would also give us an opportunity to share Jesus with them and people would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Heal us. Heal our land. Bless our church fellowship as well. And bless our people. And thank you. To God be the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated now. I appreciate you praying with us and certainly pray as we get closer to uh, November the 3rd. That time is coming very, very quickly, and uh, we'll wait and see what happens, won't we? Turn in your Bibles, please, this morning to Exodus, the 15th chapter. We're going to look at this song, the uh, Israelites have crossed the sea. Can you begin to imagine what it must have been like to take that first step? Can you imagine even more so what it must have been like to walk out into the middle of where the water was? And yes, it would be really cool to be on the dry land, but I'm wondering what it would look like if you saw water on both sides of you and maybe thinking, if this collapses, there's no way out. It's too late to run away. We're trapped. And of course, that's exactly what happened to the Egyptians, didn't it? They arrogantly thought they could do, if anything the Jews can do, we can do maybe even better. And they went out and the waters collapsed on them. Well, when you get to the other side as Israelis, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you were in that situation, what would you do when you got to the other side? I think the only appropriate thing to do would be to have a celebration service. To worship. Now there's a picture on there of an ancient tambourine that they found. And uh, that's probably uh, pretty close to what it looked like when you read about those in this passage. And I want you to think about what Moses is doing here as he begins to uh, uh, speak. And he begins to sing. And he begins to compose a beautiful poem. This is uh, doubtless one of the oldest recorded poems and songs in history, thousands of years old. We don't have the tune. We don't have the rhythm. And all that leads me to believe, because the Psalms, same way, we have the words. And I think we need to remember that whenever we sing, words matter. 
and the words are important and our songs ought to reflect the truth. There may be different styles we can use, different rhythms we can use, different arrangements we can use, but we better make sure that we are singing the truth. Musicians don't get a pass and it doesn't get a pass just because it's a song that makes me feel good or makes me happy or something. It had better reflect the truth. And Moses song does this. It's uh, rather long and so we'll uh, start reading it and we'll think about what these people must have felt as they were singing this. We'll think about what it must have been like to be on the other side and to know that your enemy is totally defeated. They are annihilated and you, the slaves, are free. And you're on your way now to the promised land. You're on the other side of that barrier, the Red Sea, and it is now time to start the journey. How exciting that must have been. So let's uh, read this song and think about it. Think about the words as we go through it. Let it minister to your soul. Moses says in verse 1, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, and they spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider, the Egyptians, he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. He can stand up for himself. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. Notice how they saw this coming after them as coming against the Lord. You sent forth your wrath it consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind and the sea covered them and they sank like lead into the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. 
And by people there, it means the inhabitants of Canaan. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia, the other nations. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord. Till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling. A reference to the temple mount, Mount Zion. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land on the midst of the sea. Well, then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, that would also be the sister of Moses, by the way, took the timbrel, her tambourine, in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, it's no surprise that Moses would be able to write poetry and write music. He probably had skill in that. Acts 7.22 says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So Moses, a very educated and skilled man, skilled in the arts of this ancient and yet very advanced society of Egypt, uh, he was able to use that for the glory of God after they got on the other side of the sea. And when you see them getting to the other side of the sea, uh, I'm wondering as they walked across the sea on dry land, if they were still a little bit fearful. I'm not sure that uh, thinking of human nature that the joy of that moment would have hit them immediately they would have been in awe they would have been amazed can you imagine them looking at the wall of water over here and the wall of water over here and at the same time somebody is saying hurry keep moving keep moving ahead the Egyptians are coming go 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 and uh, all of that and there they go across the sea, And it's not until they step out on the shore on the other side that they breathe a sigh of relief and say, what is this? And what in the world just happened? How did this happen? And, and here we are. And can you imagine as they got across and they saw the Egyptians coming and they thought, so did this all happen just so that they could come and slaughter us over here? What, what's going on? And as the Egyptians get into the middle of that, can you imagine? what it was like as the waters collapsed and they saw all of that and for the first time for the first time the word 
safe enters into their minds. There's no one there that is going to be after them. There's no one coming after them. There's no one who can make a claim on them. There's no one who can overtake them. Can you imagine the emotions that they must have felt? Relief and joy. I'm sure there are some people who broke into tears. I'm sure there are some people who were shouting. I'm sure that there were some people who just couldn't stay still. They were running and there were dances of joy. Kind of like uh, whenever you watch Charlie Brown and you watch Snoopy dance. I picture that. Just a dance of exuberance as they cannot contain themselves and their joy. Can you imagine as they gather together and Moses says, we need to have an assembly, and they all assemble. And then as Moses begins to start off, he starts singing whatever the tune might have been. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed. And not just triumphed, he's triumphed gloriously. And these horses and their very riders, the chosen ones, the special ops of Pharaoh, we stood no chance against them, but the Lord came and the Lord intervened and the Lord has become our victory. The victory is not a circumstance, it's not an event. Our victory is the Lord himself. And you sing this song and think about this song. And as New Testament believers on this side of the cross, we can relate because the Lord is our salvation as well. And the Lord, He Himself is our victory. When Jesus is on the cross being punished by God the Father for your sins, and then He cries out, It is finished. And at that point, Jesus became your victory and your salvation was secured. You are delivered and you are free from the domination of the enemy forever and ever and ever. And you are the redeemed of the Lord just as they are the redeemed of the Lord's. Can anybody say amen to that? Because that is something that sets you free from the fear of death. It sets you free from the fear of living. It sets you free from what other people might do. It sets you free from this world system. It sets you free from Washington, D.C. or Beijing or any place else. It means that we have a different capital because we have a different leader. And we serve our king and we serve our sovereign. And he is the one who has and still is triumphing glory and doing things that no one else expects and that no one else could do and the Lord is his name aren't you glad that you know him today aren't you glad that he has revealed himself to you aren't you glad that you're a part of his family and a part of his kingdom aren't you glad that you've read the back of the book and that we win aren't you glad that nothing is up for grabs aren't you glad that it is settled and sure and it is not in the hands of a despot or an enemy but is it in it is in the hands of a loving and powerful God, a God who loves you, who promises you things, a God who is watching out for you, a God who cares for you, and a God who has the power to do what he says he is going to do. Sometimes parents say, I'm going to take you fishing on Saturday. And a little boy gets so excited and he has his tackle box out and his fishing pole out. And he goes to bed that night excited about it. And then dad gets a call that night and he has to go to work and he can't go to take his son fishing the next day. And he has a disappointed little boy. We've all seen and known those types of stories. Why? Dad had good intentions, but he didn't have the power to carry it off. 
but our God has good intentions and good words for all of us, promises in his word, and he has the power to carry it out because he is the one who has ordained the end from the beginning. And he not only knows what he is going to do, he knows what the enemy is going to do before they even do it. And so the only response is just true worship. When I think about worship, there are five words that come to mind. I'm going to give them to you with a portion of this song. And I want you to think, because I think the misconception of worship today is worship is an event. Worship is something we go to. Worship is something we do in a certain place like this. Worship is something we do at a certain time. You've got to do it somewhere around 11 o'clock on Sunday or it doesn't count. That's sort of the sacred hour or something like that. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. Worship is who we are. We live lives of worship every day, 24-7. Every decision we make, everything that comes out of our mouth, the way that we live, the way that we conduct our lives, the way that we look to the Lord, the way that we relate to other people, the way that we spend our money, the way that we treat other people, the kindness that we show, all of these kind of things, even when you go to the polls on Tuesday, November 3rd, casting your vote will be an act of worship. Do it right and do it well for the glory and the honor of the Lord. Everything we do is an act of worship. In fact, wouldn't it be wonderful if our lives were so full of worship all the rest of the week that when we came in here together, we literally erupted with praise for what God had done and how great He has been and how many prayers He has answered and how much he has done that we couldn't do ourselves and we were just filled with joy and praise and testimony not about ball games but about Jesus not about anything else that has happened throughout the week but about our Lord and how his sovereign plan has unfolded itself in our lives for his glory could you imagine if whenever we began to sing it was an explosion of what has been pent up within us all during the week because we have been worshiping our Lord and our Savior well, if we want to make our worship to be genuine, to be real, to be rich, and we want it to be something that is life-changing and God-honoring, we need to think of it like this. Now, first of all, worship is a response. Worship is not a passive God sitting in heaven saying, okay, beat some drums and shake some tambourines, offer some sacrifices, do some things, and you might get my attention. Now, that's paganism. That's the way the pagans would be. Remember the prophets of Baal whenever they're trying to call down fire from heaven uh, when Elijah is taunting them? They are trying to get Baal's attention. They are trying to get their God to look down and to do something on their behalf. But with our God, it is never that way. Our worship is always in response to him. Moses said, I will sing. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. But then he tells us why. For he has triumphed gloriously. I will because he has. I will because he has. You see it? 
And so everything we do, we look at the cross and it causes us to worship. We look at the miracles like the Red Sea and it causes us to worship. We look at answered prayer in our lives. We look at needs that are met and it causes us to worship. And that should be every day in everything that we see. There's always a reason to pray. There's always a reason to rejoice because we're to rejoice always. There's always a reason to give thanks because we're to give thanks in everything. There's always a reason to worship, even those things that make us afraid. How different would it have been had Israel, instead of turning around and complaining and turning on Moses, what if they had begun to praise God and what if they had begun to worship him? I think about times in the Old Testament when the Bible says, the battle is not yours, the battle is the Lord's. Now go out with singing. And what if we did that? And what if we were the ones who actually rejoiced instead of complaining and instead of getting into despair and depression and all of that? What if we sang unto the Lord because we remembered his mighty works? You'll find in the Bible that there was so many times where the people would begin to pray, both in the Old and in the New Testament. And when they would pray, the first thing they would do is begin to recite the works of God. Oh, Father, you're the one who parted the Red Sea. Oh, Father, you're the one that let our ancestors walk across on dry land. Oh, Lord, you're the one that made the walls of Jericho fall. Oh, Lord, you made the sun and the moon and the stars. And they would do all that because that builds your faith. And they look and they say, now, Lord, the God who did all of that, we've got this little problem over here. And that put it all into perspective. Moses was going to sing because of what God had done. It was in response to him. God calls us to worship because of what he has done, because of who he is, and he has revealed himself to us. That ought to cause us to worship. Secondly, I want you to think of the word saving. The Lord has allowed us to worship him by saving us because lost people cannot worship God. God doesn't hear the prayers of lost people. If I regard iniquity in my heart like they do, the Lord will not hear me. God hears the prayers of his people. Jesus even said in John 17, I don't pray for the world, I pray for my people. You occupy a special place in his heart as part of his family and part of his kingdom. Why? Because he has made himself known and he has become your redeemer. He has become your savior. That ought to cause you to worship him. If you have nothing else that you can think of to worship God for you ought to worship because you're not going to hell you ought to worship because your sins have been forgiven you ought to worship because his spirit indwells you you ought to worship because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life you ought to worship because there's a place a mansion prepared for you in heaven you ought to worship because your king is coming back for you John chapter 14 tells us that and that ought to cause us to have joy in spite of everything else the Lord, it says, is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is not just a God, not just the God, but Moses said he is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him, an intergenerational God. He's not just the God of one particular generation, one particular time period, one particular era of history. He is God, period. 
and he reigns, and he reigns forever. And we ought to worship him because we ought to always keep our salvation in mind. We sang earlier, I will sing of my Redeemer. What's a Redeemer? It's somebody that comes and purchases you out of the slave market of sin. He is the one that purchased you and bought your freedom, took you out of the slave market so that you will never go back into it again and takes the chains off of you and sets you free and then says, now, come and follow me. And because of your new nature and because of the grace of God, you do that and your allegiance is to the one who paid the price for your freedom. Don't ever run past your salvation. Don't ever discount your salvation. Don't ever think that, oh, salvation's just the ABCs. I'm moving on to the deep things. Never, ever, ever forget what he did for you. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. You're a saved person. You are redeemed and salvation should make you worship. But there's a third thing that comes up in this. If you'll skip on down to verse 11, this is, uh, we'll call this theocentric. What in the world is that? Well, theos is the word for God. Centric would mean center. Worship is supposed to be God-centered. Say, why didn't you just say that? I just thought it sounded cool. Um, Right? Theocentric. How much, how much of what we sing and talk about and read. I want to ask you a question. That devotion you love so much, how much of that centers on God and how much of that centers on you? That song that you say, oh, I just love that song so much. Take a look at it. How much does it exalt God and how much does it talk about you or your problems or your situation? If you look around today, you'll find it's very difficult to find things that actually focus upon God and are centered upon Him. Now you'll notice as Moses writes this song and as he sings it, he does make reference. They are involved in all of this. But you'll notice the center of the song is God. The center of the song is not them. It's not that we escaped. It's not that we feel better. It's not that the Egyptians aren't going to get us anymore. That's all in there. But it's not the center of it. I will sing to the Lord. For he, not we, he has triumphed gloriously. And so think about that as you worship and as you spend your time on things. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Answer, no one. Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, and doing wonders? And the answer is nobody. And you'll notice that as they focus in on God and they think about who he is and what he has done, something happens to them. They get, number four, they get optimistic. They're not gloom and doom. They're not walking away and saying, well, we got away from the Egyptians, but what are the Philistines going to do? What are the Amorites going to do? What are the Moabites going to do? Oh, no, we're in trouble with the Canaanites. And yet so many Christians do that. It's like we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And if something good happens to us, just hold on because something bad is going to happen. And we've lost our optimism. Calvinists ought to be the most optimistic people in the world. You know why? Because we serve a God who doesn't lose. The scripture tells us here in verse 18 as Moses sings, 
the Lord shall reign forever and ever. He didn't even have Handel's Messiah, did he? And yet he knew that. Here he is in uh, one of these early books of the Bible, an ancient book of the Bible, God just beginning to reveal himself. And there's one thing that is cemented in Moses' mind. And that is, whoever sits on an earthly throne is temporary, but God's throne is permanent. He is a sovereign God who rules and reigns over the earth. That ought to make us smile. So I don't know who's going to be elected. I don't either. But I know one thing, Jesus will still be Lord and he'll still rule and reign over everything and everything is going to function according to his prophetic plan. So let's get excited about that. And let's have a reason to smile and a reason to proclaim God's truth during all of this instead of acting like the sky is falling. Worship is optimistic. I don't like gloomy worship. Even a funeral ought to have a note of optimism. Right? Remember that story about the old lady that told the preacher, whenever I die in my casket, when they open it up and people walk by, put a fork in my hand. He looked at her and said, why do you want a fork in your hand? She said, because whenever I go to somebody's house to eat, whenever we get through with the main course, they say, keep your fork. It means the best is yet to come. And I want everybody that walks by to look at the fork and say, what does that mean? And you tell them the best is yet to come. It's not over. The best is yet to come. We ought to be optimistic about all of this. We ought to know that if we end up in the lion's den, our God is able to shut the lion's mouth. Haven't we learned anything? We ought to be able to know that if they take our lives, Jesus told us, don't fear the ones who can kill the body, but fear the one who has the power to cast both body and soul in hell. We ought to know that if we are leaving this earth through death or through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. And we ought to be ready and we ought to be optimistic about going there. We ought to know he's going to take care of our loved ones. We ought to know that every promise in the book is going to be fulfilled because God always keeps his word. We ought to be the ones with the smile. We ought to be the ones with the positive outlook that's more than just crossing our fingers or thinking positive. We are the ones who have positive knowledge. Our faith is positive because our God does everything that he says he is going to do. Let that sink in. Think about it and rejoice in that. And then the last thing is, this is for all you knotheads out there, Worship ought to be enthusiastic. It should never be boring. You notice here that when Moses does all of that, Miriam can't contain herself. So what do they do? The women start taking tambourines. And they start shaking those tambourines in praise to the Lord. And they're exuberant in what they do. When we all get to heaven... What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus will what? Sing and shout. Well, you don't. Some of you don't sing. Is it because you don't know Jesus? You might ought to check it out. Is it because you don't have a song in your heart? Is it because the world has disappointed you? What, what, what's going on that you won't sing? It's amazing. 
Some of you have lost your shout. You used to shout. You don't shout anymore. You can't wait to get out of here anymore. What's wrong with you? This is God we're talking about. This is the sovereignty of God we're talking about. This is victory that we're talking about. There are some people that just, you know, when it comes to all of that, you know, we don't want to get too emotional and you act like a nut at a football game. What's wrong with you? I mean, somebody say amen because I'm right. Right? What's going on? Now, I know that there are introverted and extroverted personalities, and I know all of that kind of stuff. I, I get that. But at the same time, when people say, I heard one person say to me, well, you got to understand, preacher, I'm just not an emotional person. You know what I said to that person? I bet if your grandson got hit by a truck in front of you and you saw it happen, I bet you would be. And he looked at me and he goes, well, of course I would be. And I said, so let's forget about the fact that you're not emotional. You're very emotional. Very. It's just what you choose to be emotional about that is the issue. And I'm going to ask you as a church to think about something. You need to get emotional about truth. You need to get emotional about Jesus. You need to feel it. You need to embrace it. And you need to express it. And why is that important? Because sometimes your amen causes somebody else who hadn't been paying attention to go, whoa, if they think this is important, it must be important. Sometimes there's a person sitting in the auditorium and they're sitting there going, you know, I kind of believe what he's saying, but I'm not real sure. And your amen kind of seals the deal for them. It's part of what Hebrews 10, 24 says. We're supposed to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Sometimes it's that time when you raise your hand that 20 other people decide it's okay for them to do it as well. It's that time when you stand in honor of the Lord while we're singing that about 50 other people decide that they can stand as well. Let's be a catalyst for all of this. I didn't say fake it. I didn't say do anything like that. I'm just saying having our hearts so in tune with the Lord that we are saying basically, Lord, if this makes you happy, then I want to be happy as well. It's being able to see our lives in light of what God has done for us to know that God so loved you that he sent his only son to die on the cross for you and to pay for your sins so that you could have a right relationship with God and you can't yawn over that that's an exciting thing that the God of the ages would do that that's better than crossing the Red Sea do you hear that that's better than crossing the Red Sea this is your God and I want you to think about this this is supposed to be expressed God wasn't offended by their expression. We've been too affected by Europe and the Middle Ages and all of that, thinking that music is supposed to be like a funeral and that we are supposed to sit there with a stiff upper lip and only speak when the little paper tells us to speak and all of that kind of thing. And we've been affected by all of that. And yet when you read in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you will find out that those people, when they worshiped, they really worshiped. Read Psalm 150 sometime. God likes it loud. God likes it expressive. God likes the instruments. God likes all of us being involved in all of this for his honor and for his glory. So when you think about those kind of things, do those words ever enter your worship? 
Do those words ever enter your thinking whenever you consider worship? Because when you go back to chapter uh, 13 or chapter 14, uh, I think it is, yeah, in verse 10, here's where they were before. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians. And they uh, saw them marching after them. And they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you given us, uh, taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? It is not, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? I look at all of this and I go, Wow, what got them from that? Complaining, fearful, and griping to, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. What happened? Number one, God did something. And number two, their hearts were turned from complaining to worship. Now, I want to ask you a question. What do you have in your life that depresses you, that drags you down, that defeats you, that discourages you? What do you have in your life that will not be cured by genuine worship? What's going on in our nation right now? Riots in the streets, right? Differing political... uh, philosophies and fighting and all of that, fear about what's going to happen, economy, a pandemic and all of that. What do we have in our nation that wouldn't be solved by genuine worship? And let me ask you this. If true believers are not going to worship, who is? And the answer is nobody. The answer is nobody. So if you don't know Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, you really can't worship anything but yourself. And you need to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for your sins. Knowing that he rose from the dead, the greatest event in history. And that if you will confess him as Lord and call upon him, he will take the death of Jesus in full payment for your sin. And you will be redeemed just like these people were. And if you have done that and have been redeemed, when did you ever get passive and casual and nonchalant or even bored with what God has done for you. It's time to get excited. It's time to worship. And it's time to realize we're not the problem. God working through us, we're the answer to what's going on in our society as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people coming to worship God, that's the solution to the changes we want to see in their lives. But until you can demonstrate that it has changed yours, don't try to tell them. Don't tell them Jesus loves you until you love him and you love them as well. And don't tell them our God is a mighty God until you're willing to display it. And you're willing to worship him and worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's through that, it's through that, that others see us and they see the reality of our lives and the reality of our God. And he receives glory 
and honor and praise through him. Think about that. Think about this song. Study it for yourself. Think about those words that I gave you. Do those permeate your life and dominate your life as you have your quiet time or as you come to church or as you do Sunday school or as you try to minister in the community? You better have those things in your mind or it may all just be a sham. And how terrible would it be to find that God views what we do in realm of worship as little more than just putting on a mask and putting on a show instead of truly worshiping Him as He deserves. Because that's the bottom line. He deserves our praise and our worship all the time. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, this is something that is difficult for us and it shouldn't be. Worship and enthusiastic worship that honors you because it's centered upon you in response to what you have done ought to be the most natural thing in the world for people like us. So Father, forgive us and thank you that Jesus even died for our hypocritical worship. And I praise you for that. But now we're saying we're not satisfied with that. We want it to be real. We want it to be genuine. We want it to be pure. We want it to be uplifting and optimistic. We want to be able to be free to worship you. Not bound up, but free to worship you as you want to be worshipped. Let it start today. We surrender to you. And we do it for your glory and honor. Teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Hey, Lord.